You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the Aromatic Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another herbalistic episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Rosemary is a remarkable plant, but does it have the power to deter insect pests? On today's show, we'll reveal rosemary's true potential to improve alertness and memory and review which plants can repel pests like mosquitoes, just in time for biting season. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. Yes, cats and kittens, potential guests are busy buying time. So we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and fiendishly frothy fomentations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you finally remembering where you put your car keys right after this. Welcome to another hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we got a crazy show for you again, cats and kittens. In the question of the week, we'll discuss two aspects of herbalism what rosemary can do to improve your mental health, and which herbs in your garden might make you distasty to insect pests like mosquitoes. We're also going to take a lot of your phone calls, some of which may be old, many of which will be new. So whatever's coming up, you haven't heard it all yet, and you will if you keep on listening right here. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you doing? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Carol. Ducky thanks you, too. He's wearing his protective mask. Um, (laughs) How are you doing? Well, it's okay. This is northeastern Oklahoma, and uh, it's the same same old in and out every day with the houseplants. It's hot in the daytime, cold at night. So, Yeah. Yeah, you're getting strange weather for Oklahoma. Well, yeah. I mean, that's redundant, right? <laughs> you know, strange weather in Oklahoma. What a shock, right? <laughs> yeah, the birds are nesting already. It's pretty shocking to see them gathering the dog hair and hauling it away already. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, well, it's about time here for that. You know, they, they've been singing and flirting and fighting, you know, so pretty soon we're going to see eggs. <laughs> I really like my Acopian bird savers. You featured him a few years ago. And this has saved many, many birds from uh, window strikes. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, that was a wonderful episode. This was a guy who made um, essentially long beaded strings with uh, sinkers on the end, and you hung them in front of your windows and no more bird strikes. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a welcome guest. Anytime you want to feature him, I'd like to hear him again. I would like to dig out his old information. If he's listening to this show, please get back in touch. Yeah, because that was, um, it doesn't happen often, but when the sun is at the correct angle, every once in a while I'll hear a thud on my office window and I'll see a confused bird kind of staggering around like he just came out of a bar at two in the afternoon, you know. Yeah. Well, he's over there in eastern Pennsylvania, so he should be easy to find, Mike. Oh, good. You remember better than I do. But again, that's almost redundant. All right, Carol, that's great. Thank you for bringing that up and reminding us of that. What can we do you for? Well, I had put some stem ends, the the hard fibrous cabbage ends, out into the compost compost pile, just tossed them out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Thinking later on, I'll come back and shred them, only to find about two weeks later that they had leafed out hugely. And I am wondering if I have found a shortcut to new cabbages without starting from plants or seed. Um, if you had asked me this question six months ago, I would have said, wow, that's groovy, but I don't know. However, I did a book signing. I have a, a, a new version, a new edition of my tomato book that Fox Chapel has been publishing for the last couple of years. And I did a book signing at a uh, library convention, a a convention of librarians. And uh, I was at the Fox Chapel table and they had a couple of other gardening books. One of those was called, and I think this is the exact title, Regrow Your Vegetables. And it was originally published in Germany 
But of course, it's been translated and everything. And of course, the pictures um, don't change and they are uh, just perfectly instructional. And the book, and I, I do wish to, I've been trying to figure out a way to interview the author, even though she's in Germany. Um, we have been able to set those lines up every once in a while. But if I can't do that, I'm going to do a question of the week just on this book because I find it fascinating. And she covers about a dozen things, maybe even more, just like this that you can do with parts of your vegetables that you typically would compost. You know, really? the, yeah, the, the root end of onions, just as you point out, the roots of cabbage. Um, and then for people who've had no success trying to get the hydroponic uh, herbs from their uh, supermarket, like especially basil, with those long spindly um, roots to root in their garden, she explains that's not how you do it. You do it like it was um, an African violet. You take a, a long stem off, and you get that stem to grow little baby roots in water. Then you move it over into soil. But absolutely, yes, this is a great shortcut um, and also, what a wonderful thing to do with kids, because yeah. everything gets started inside. So you can play around with this stuff in the winter and just see it happening, even if you can't actually get it through to success. And a lot of times you're not going to get a huge harvest, but it's, uh, it, it's more fun than a barrel of monkeys. Um, it's, and she... And her partner, the co-writer of the book, have figured out how to do this successfully for quite a few things that, um, again, normally go into the compost. And I've been itching to try some of these, but I've been too busy, you know, starting my tomatoes and peppers and everything like that. Uh, but I think in the fall, I'm going to play around with this, uh, you know, keep my grow lights up and play around with this and see how far we can take it. But, yeah, I found some real bad-looking carrots in the way, way, way back of the refrigerator that were sprouting on the top and rooting on the bottom. And I think I might try lying them on their side out there in the compost and see what happens with them. Okay, now that's a whole other topic because uh, carrots are biennials. They oh. are two-year plants because oh. think about it. We plant carrots by seed, right? Yep. Whoever saw carrot seed? Where, where did it come from? It, right. it comes from the second-year plant. Professional seed growers grow carrots. They do not harvest them. They leave them in the ground. And the second year, they will grow very strong roots, and they will flower on the top. And the flowers look a lot like Queen Anne's lace, and they're very good at um, attracting beneficial insects. Right. But my understanding is the carrot loses all its flavor. But if you put this in the center of a bed, you'll have ladybugs, you'll have lacewings, you'll have native bees coming in. So you'll get pollination, you'll get aphid eaters, and you'll get very pretty flowers. And again, that's just a, a fun thing to do. Well, this is fantastic. You know, after St. Patrick's Day, there was a huge a dumpster load of um, cabbages, and the Freegan crew, we're not dumpster divers, we're Freegans, uh, harvested them, and, you know, a lot of them, this is all they're good for. I did notice one of these things appears to be going to flower, mm -hmm. and so even then, the little tiny pollinators, just like you said, will love those tiny brassica flowers, yep. so either way... It doesn't matter whether I get a new cabbage or if I just get flowers. I'm glad I didn't shred them like I was going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of uh, supermarkets and restaurants couldn't have their St. Patrick's Day feast. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's, we're becoming aware that food banks, even the most sophisticated ones, just can't absorb massive amounts of fresh produce and, and keep it going. But maybe that's one silver lining that will come out of this virus epidemic 
is they'll learn to be a little bit better prepared, perhaps, uh, to handle large amounts of this, because it's a, it's a sin what's going to waste now. Uh, but the stream is full, so to speak. The food banks can't handle any more fresh produce. But, you know, next time, I think we'll be ready. But, yeah, if you want to have fun, the book is called uh, Regrow Your Vegetables, and it's published by Fox Chapel Press, and they're here in Pennsylvania. They're out by uh, Lancaster, PA, and you can go to their website. You can go online, but it's a fascinating book, and anybody who's, like, homeschooling their children now that, um, in, in, at least in all the areas surrounding me, school will not be physically open again until next, until next year, until the fall, um, this would be a great thing uh, to do with your kids. Yeah, the kids were really neat. They had come up with a uh, biological control uh, reference for grasshoppers. They were hearing about the locust explosion in East Africa. Yeah. And and the seven-year-old kid said, you know, I read something. It's just like that BT stuff, Auntie. Yep. It's called, it's called Nosema locusti. Yep. It, it makes them stop eating. And I thought, wow, this kid is so far ahead of me. Yes, and the interesting thing, one of the things I learned, because you know, I'm, I'm hazy on a lot of botany, but I'm a pretty good entomologist, is locusts are grasshoppers. But when there is an abundance of grasshoppers, when they hit a certain population level, they actually mutate into a slightly different insect, and that's the locust. But oh, they, wow. they all started out as grasshoppers. So the kid's exactly right. Nosema is exactly the right biological control. Yeah, and he says, you know, you can get this stuff in 50-pound bags of bran. But, Grandma, yep. what, what's bran? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yes, uh, uh, the book is Regrow Your Vegetables from Fox Chapel. You should get a copy because you sound like you love doing this kind of stuff. And I will feature it on an upcoming show. Well, thanks. I wish the library was open. I'd head over there right now, but it's another victim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, take care. Be safe. And uh, pretty soon, hopefully, we'll all be back to normal. Right. Thanks, Mike. We love you here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Christy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. I live in Albertus, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so what can we do for Christy in Albertus? So I have a mystery plant that I received. Um, it was a gift mm -hmm. that I got through a like a service, a 1-800-Flowers, right. that came to my house. I'm not really sure what it is. Um, I have a really terrible brown thumb, uh -huh. and I'm not really sure how to take care of it either. What was the, what was the gifting occasion? Um, it was actually for a family member that passed. It was sent to me. So Okay. Now, mm -hmm. is this a bunch of different plants in a dish, or is it, um, you know, because generally with that they'll send an arrangement. If it's live plants, there'll be four or five kind of tropical house plants in. Um, it in doesn't really look tropical. It okay. The, the bottom of it says that it's a lilac, but I'm not really sure that's what it is. Oh, that would be interesting. What, what size pot is it in? Is it in a traditionally sized pot or a dish? It's a more of a traditional size pot. And of course, no, um, no, no tag, no help, no assistance. Right. Well, the picture that you see, if you can see the pot that it's in, yeah. the picture that's on the outside of that pot is pictures of lilacs, and it says lilac on it. Okay. But I'm not sure that's what is what it actually is. Would you like to have a lilac? <laughs> All right. So let's presume it, it is a lilac. You can you can check that out. Do you have a space outdoors for a plant that uh, literally should grow into a, a fairly large flowering shrub? I do. I have a space. And does it get good sun? Uh, if I were to plant it, it would be under trees. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Yeah. So then you wouldn't get any lilacs. That wouldn't work out. How okay. about uh, neighbors, family that lives in the area, family that lives relatively nearby with a big yard? Uh, I have family about an hour south. So. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. South. So mm -hmm. where, where are they? In, in Philly? Conchahawken. Conchahawken. Okay. Mm -hmm. Suburb yeah. of Philly. And mm -hmm. they have room. They have a yard, yeah. Okay. That, that would work. Uh, and you have visitation rights. There's, I do. There's no family <laughs> it's issues my, it's here. It's my stepdad, yeah. It's, it oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's my suggestion. Unless they tell you differently if you choose to do some detective work, 
I would take it over to your dad's house. Lilacs like full sun, and they like to be away from other plants. They can be real drama queens. But okay. if, if you treat them nicely, you know, the fragrance and the blooms, my lilac is a blooming right now. And it's just anytime I'm, I'm outside and I'm depressed about my weeds, I just grab one of those suckers and inhale them, and I'm, I'm good for another hour of weed whacking. So okay. um, dig a wide hole, not a deep one, as we will constantly repeat this spring. Um, plant it higher, a little higher than it was in the pot. Don't improve the soil in the planting hole. Fill the hole back up with the soil you dug out. But then find some good yard waste compost. You know, whether you have some compost, whether a friend has compost, your stepdad, or buy a bag of premium compost. You'll never be sorry that you did. And then give it a two-inch mulch of compost. And because it's a new planting, it's very important that your stepdad, uh, well, first, after you put it in the hole, you want to take a, a garden hose out to it, turn the hose nozzle to just drip like an annoying motel room faucet, and mm-hmm. put it at the base of the plant, let it drip there for several hours, and ask your stepdad to do that once a week if we don't get lots of rain. Okay, good to know. Thank you. All right, my pleasure. Thank you, Christy. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that you are listening to a hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden with a mix of old calls, new calls, unpaid bills, and a classic question of the week. So don't go out to yell at your evil squirrels for planting black walnuts under your brandy wands just yet because we'll be right back with the power of rosemary and more of your powerful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Fidelity Bank. What would you do with your home's equity? Fidelity Bank offers opportunities to educate, consolidate, or renovate. Seven Lehigh Valley locations and online at bankatfidelity.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. This is another of those hybrid episodes, Cats and Kittens, with old phone calls, new phone calls, a classic question of the week, and, of course, me. Well, you know, some of the phone calls are new, okay? Dale, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Oh, thank you, Dale. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well, pretty well. I've learned much from you, Mike. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Where are you, sir? I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. Now, I think I've been to Eugene, but refresh Uh, me where we are on the map. Okay. Well, Portland is our big city. It's Mm -hmm. uh, in. We're in the western portion of the state. Right. uh, Sixty miles from the ocean, and a hundred miles south of Portland in the Willamette Valley. Oh, sure. Absolutely. uh, am I correct? That's uh, an up-and-coming wine-growing region. Oh, yes, very much, very much. Yeah. So now you got me thinking about wine. <laughs> there <laughs> I go. You know, they close, they close the liquor stores here in Pennsylvania. You know. They did? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's an essential service. That's what we all said. How are you, <laughs> how are you supposed to deal with this sober? Luckily, Pennsylvania now allows you to buy wine online, so. Oh, how generous. Yeah, exactly. All right. What can we do for you, sir? Uh, I have a landscape garden, Mike. I've uh, been at this for quite a while. Um, and the, basically, I would call it my backbone plant in this garden is a Mahonia repens. This is a shrub, an evergreen shrub. It gets to about three feet tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's shade tolerant, and it allows me to uh, create little uh, backgrounds uh, in my garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have more than 20 of these plants. Beginning this winter, uh, I began to notice a fungus infection in a few of them. 
Um, and then as spring has come along, uh, 80% of these plants now have a serious fungus infection. Talk um, to me about the symptoms. All right. Uh, well, we get uh, discoloration on the leaves, a kind of a little bit of a hint of reddish darkness. Right. Then it progresses to uh, what I would call black spot. Okay. And then, uh, now, what I did was, when I saw this happening, I stripped all of those infected leaves off of the plant. Okay. And now the new growth is coming in, and it is affected on mm -hmm. most of the plants, and it's a kind of a crinkled leaf, uh, occasional a little blackness on mm -hmm. a stem, and um, it's a, I would say uh, thwarted growth. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just kind of amazing how um, it... 95% of it is all in this one species. Right, but it's your backbone species, as you said. Exactly. Well, how, you know, geez, I mean, how about uh, a backbone transplant? Are there anything <laughs> okay. else you like that's around that size? Yeah, um, I, um, I, I, when I first saw it this winter, I tried neem oil spray. Good choice little effect. Okay. Um, now I have switched to a, uh, it's called a Cornell solution. Oh, sure, the baking soda. Yes. Yeah. And oh, I, I haven't heard of the Cornell solution for ages. Thank, I forget this stuff sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's all online there somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I've been spraying with that. I think that it is helping the new growth a little bit. What are the plants growing out of? Uh, bare ground, a lawn, are they mulched? Um, uh, they are in, uh, actually I have a lot of raised beds because I live in a wet area. Good, 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 because these plants and, don't um, like wet feet. Yeah, so the oldest of these plants have been in the ground more than five years. And uh, they are, uh, I think, about air circulation. Yes, very good. And the, I don't see that as a problem. The plants do get extremely dense. Mm -hmm. and, and I may, that may be a factor. Yes, because you have constant humidity where you are, right? Uh, yes, although uh, uh, it's not as bad as our reputation. Right. Neither am I. But that's you know. <laughs> but the symptoms you describe uh, could be a disease. Now, I imagine you've researched this uh, to learn the big problems with the Mahonia. Well, um, the the one uh, I did research fungal disease, mm -hmm. and uh, it, the closest thing I found was something with a huge name called. Something like Cylindra cladium. Okay. I used to go I, out with her sister. Yeah. <laughs> Cynthia cladium. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make some suggestions. Okay. Uh, and by the way, what are the raised beds filled with? Originally, planting soil. We have very good sources of uh, garden soils here. Mm -hmm. And uh, planting soil. And then they've been, per I'm a heavy mulcher. Uh, using compost. Good, good, good. Uh, and so they've been, uh, they get a layer, of, a little bit of compost every year. That's excellent. So, you know, I have many, many very healthy plants, and uh, but this guy has really got me worried. Well, to me, it almost sounds cultural. Um, uh -huh. These plants uh, do suffer winter damage, you know. Uh huh. And they could go into the spring somewhat weakened if you got a, a really cold winter. Um, I know you're not in Portland. Uh, uh -huh. Where you are in, in near the valley, does it get freezing cold in the winter, or is it still pretty mild? It's a, it's a mild climate. Uh, our, our winters, um, uh, normal winters, are rarely below freezing. Right. Man, that's what I'm thinking. So... Yeah, what I'm so thinking, though, is the constant mist 
and rains, these leaves never get a chance to dry off. Well, uh, Mike, we had a um, uh, a pretty dry winter, mm-hmm. um, and a dry and warm, a fairly warm uh, winter. What I want you to do uh-huh. is go to the website of the Colorado Extension, uh-huh. Washington State Extension, any place that has the kind of conditions that you live in, and uh-huh. look up the plant. Do not try to diagnose it yourself. See what uh-huh. the plant is susceptible to. I have researched this plant in the past, but it's years and years ago. Uh-huh. I think what you got is a form of leaf spot, um, overcrowding, lack of airflow. It's possible that these need, I, I, but I don't know, can they take a rejuvenation pruning? Can they be cut, cut back by a third and still prosper? Yes. Well, I would increase the airflow. I would double down on the compost. I would check that soil, even though it's a raised bed, um, make sure it's still not saturated, because you have a lot of high water tables in your area, too. Yes. Um, and then keep doing the Cornell spray. I like the Cornell spray. That's baking soda and oil, right? Uh, yeah, oil and... A um, little bit of soap. Uh, correct. Yeah, okay. That's an excellent... That's an excellent one. I would also, if that's working, maybe try a sulfur. No, um, sulfur? Uh-oh. Copper. Copper, thank you. Ah, it's just, <laughs> a, it's just a different element. Yeah, I would try a copper spray or maybe even a Bordeaux mix, which is- Bordeaux. Yeah, Bordeaux like in, in France. Yeah. Um, Bordeaux mix is copper and, um, oh, and lime. Okay. Now, let me tell you, um, I did purchase uh, something called copper fungicide. Yeah, okay, that's fine. And uh, I had uh, no luck uh, trying, to, trying to dust it. So, uh, contrary to recommendations, I put some in the soil huh. around one of my plants last fall, yeah. and it worked miraculously. Well... But I'm... I'm very hesitant, though. Is that am I still organic if I'm using? Oh yeah, that? sure. It's an element, man. It's in the periodic table. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Um, uh, and it, literally, I hope, it goes uh, back. It goes back untold centuries as a disease fighter. I see. Okay. Great. Well, I will. Uh, I will uh, increase my use of that. Yeah, I think you solved your own problem, man. Well. Okay. Uh, double uh-huh. down on that and stay in touch. Let us know how it works. Thank you very much, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. You take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Ashley, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ashley. How are you? Good. How are you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Ashley good? In Philadelphia, the Fairmount area. Okay. Uh, Near the art museum? Yes, right near the art museum. Okay. That's a really nice area there. What can we yeah. do? Uh, yeah, because you can walk right to the East River Drive. You know, you right. could have your picture taken with the Rocky statue every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, what can we do for Ashley in the Art Museum area of Philadelphia? Um, well, I have a small community garden plot, about 10 by 10. Mm-hmm. And last year, which was the first year I did it, I planted some flowers and vegetables including broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. They started to grow really well, but then one day they were covered in bugs, and then after that it what looked like to be a like white mold. So I did a little quick Google search, and it, I found something called harlequin bugs that looked similar to what was all over the plant. Um, and I ended up just pulling them out and throwing them out because 
they didn't seem like we could really, I don't know, resuscitate them. Okay. And I wanted to try to plant them again this year, but I wasn't sure what I could do to prevent the same thing from happening again. Well, you're running a little late, you know. Broccoli and Brussels sprouts are cool weather crops. Um, you know, they yeah. they should be they should be put out when lettuce and spinach are put out back in okay. you know, back in April. Um, early April. And, you know, broccoli generally gives you some kind of a head pretty quickly before the weather gets hot. Brussels sprouts have to grow the whole season before you okay. can really get production from them. Now, harlequin bugs are, are, are a, a type of stink bug. And okay. So I'm presuming that you had just basic uh, marmorated stink bugs or gray stink bugs or brown ones. Or did you have the yeah. bright, or did you have the brightly colored ones? Well, the ones that were all over the plants did look brightly colored, like they had some red on them. Yeah, they looked a little bit brighter than the other stink bugs I've seen. Okay, other places. Now, what about your neighbors in this community garden? Did they have the same problem? I didn't see. I didn't see them anywhere else, and they weren't on anything else that we had in the garden other than the. Brussels sprouts and the broccoli, which were right next to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. I mean, I think we definitely probably we planted them around this time last year, which was probably the first first problem. Right. But yeah, it only seemed like the bugs and that mold were right on these plants, not anything else. Um, and it, are the plants crowded together in general? They were. I mean, they grew a lot bigger than I thought, so they were uh-huh. pretty crowded. They always yeah. grow bigger than you think. Uh, yeah. So last year being a wet year and you having a crowded garden, you know, that's where the mold came from. And all the plants were stressed last year, and insects like this are always attracted to stressed plants. Uh, do, did you feed your uh, your garden at all? Um, I mean, didn't, we didn't really add anything other than just some, like, basic fertilizer. Okay, there is no such yeah. thing. Tell me what you used. Um, it was whatever was provided in the garden, which I'm not sure exactly what was in there. Oh, well, like was it compost? Had some. Something yeah, in a bag, something in a box? Yeah, I think it was just a compost that they kind of put out in the middle of the garden for everybody to use. Okay, so it looked like soil. Yeah, yeah it did. Oh, okay. And you spread it yeah. like an inch on top of your um, raised bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the broccoli and Brussels sprouts, did you put seeds in the ground? Did you start with plants? Started with plants. I bought the little, you know, four-pack of plants and started with that. Okay. Uh, broccoli should have gone in really long ago. You can plant the okay. Brussels, Brussels sprouts now because they, they don't bear till the end of the year. Uh, but right okay. now, you know, people are putting out their tomatoes, their peppers, their cucumbers, their right. warm-weather crops. Right. So, was last year your first year? It was the first year. Oh, then don't worry about any failures. That was a learning okay. year. Um, <laughs> this year, spread more fresh compost on the surface of okay. your soil. Uh, okay. Spread the plants out more. You will get more produce from two tomato plants that have airspace between them than eight tomato plants crowded together. You okay. Good support, good airflow. Make sure you can put your hands in between plants. Plants should not be okay. leaning against each other or touching each other. And just okay. keep an eye on the garden. There's a garden hose there, right? Yeah. If you see insects on your crops, again, get the hose, turn it to its sharpest setting, and just blast them off with sharp streams of water. All right. Thank you so much. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone that you are listening to a hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden, a mix of old calls, new calls, everything borrowed, and violets of blue, recorded during marathon sessions back in April. Plenty more coming up, so don't be going outside to watch the deer finish off the last of your lettuce just yet, because we'll be right back with the power of rosemary and more of your powerful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. 
You've been welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in just a little bit, what can rosemary actually do for you? Is it a pest repellent or is it a mental accuracy booster? And are there plants you can grow that repel mosquitoes? We'll get to that fascinating information after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Susan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Thanks. I'm excited to have you here, Suze. Where are you? Uh, Melbourne, Pennsylvania, and this is um, an old new house for us. We've only been in for two months, so we're learning how to tame the yard, uh-huh. which is considerable. Um, and I have a question. Um, I have two questions if you have time, but the more compelling one involves um, a little bit of a dispute in the family of whether you use mulch or wood chips or, or neither. Um, and then the second, if you have time, is about how to keep um, quince from basically taking over the entire yard. Ah, uh, okay. Well, let, let's linger on that wood chip question for a while. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, People misuse these terms all over the place. Mulch is anything that covers the surface of the soil uh, to prevent weeds and keep moisture around the root system of plants. Um, It doesn't need to be any kind of wood. And dyed mulches, the colored mulches, the wood mulches, are especially nasty because the dye is there to confuse you about what the wood used to be. Maybe it's old pressure-treated wood. uh, Maybe it's construction debris. Um, But the reason that wood gets soaked with different colors is so you can't tell what it used to be. Um, Arborists mulch, uh, the chippings and the branch chippings that are collected by tree trimming crews, that's a much more acceptable type of, quote, wood mulch. Um, But most of these wood mulches uh, are only seen up here on the East Coast. As you go further south, uh, people will be using pine straw and pine fines, which are the bottom of the pile of pine straw. Um, You can also use black, beautiful compost as a mulch. It retains soil moisture just as well as wood chips. Or you can collect and shred all your fall leaves and put those in plastic bags. Once you shred them, they break down to one-tenth their volume. You can save up a lot of leaves in one bag um, and use those shredded leaves the following year. But uh, the question is, you know, I'm hearing, do you need mulch? What, what, what do you want to use it for? Well, um, I just spent five hours weeding on Sunday, and I don't want to do that every Sunday. Um, and you should know that we are about to have three large stumps of a locust of locust trees ground. So what I'm hearing you say is we could actually use those, and that would be okay to put to like cover. I just want to prevent weeds and do what's best for these plants. There's like azalea, quince, um, hydrangea, spirea, stuff like that. Is okay, in there. none of those will benefit from any kind of wood mulch, and most of them will suffer. Um, the, azal- the azaleas you want to mulch with an inch of milled peat moss covered with an inch of compost um, because okay. they, are, they are plants of peat bogs naturally. Um, the, other, the other plants you mentioned, you can, you can use some arborist mulch, but to try to get, well, it, it, any, anything is better than the dyed mulch. Don't let any mulch touch the plants. Always start three to six inches away from the stalk or the trunk of the plant and then run the mulch out as far as you believe the root system goes. That's, that's the correct way of mulching. Never spread the mulch deeper than one or two inches. And again, never let it touch a plant. 
but keep it away from the hydrangeas and the azaleas. Those would prefer uh, a mulch of compost or shredded leaves. You know, the, okay, the whole good. thing with wood mulching has only popped up in the past couple of decades when landfills wouldn't accept wood waste anymore. Before that, you never saw people with yards the color of an exploded Burger King. You know. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that in my neighborhood. So I know I that. We're going we're gonna to buck the trend then and go with compost. Yeah, compost uh, is, is the perfect mulch. In a three-university study, Ohio State University, um, the University of Kentucky, Iowa State, um, at multiple sites at, at each university, two inches of yard waste compost, not composted manure now, two inches of yard waste compost prevented weeds better than two inches of dyed black mulch and the plants in the compost thrive, whereby the ones in the dyed mulch uh, died. Okay. All right. Well, that's really good because that we don't want because it's pretty beautiful. I just want to control the weeds. Okay, so we'll do that. And when we get leaves, well, we have tons of weeds now. So thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Susan. It. Good luck. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. Is rosemary an insect-repelling plant? Janice in Mesquite, Texas writes, what insects does rosemary repel? I'm thinking about planting it among my flowers. Well, insect-repelling plants are a perennial topic, but one that we have not yet addressed on this new version of our show. And it's a great topic for this time of year, so let's have at it. First, there are very few, if any, plants that can repel insect pests just sitting around in the garden. Now, because of its pungency, resinousness, and woody nature, rosemary itself has few to zero insect problems. But that's not going to translate to neighborhood protection, at least in normal amounts. You might be able to protect a small group of plants by surrounding them with a circle of rosemary, but that doesn't sound very practical. However, there are tremendous advantages to just plain growing rosemary. Although the winter climate in Mesquite, Texas is not as mild as most people would suspect, it rarely drops below freezing for any length of time, which means that you can probably grow rosemary year-round outdoors as long as the soil drains well and the plant is not crowded with other plants. Rosemary really likes good dry airflow. And the official meteorological term for mesquite's humidity levels in July and August is, quote, miserable. That's one step below oppressive. Now, two great uses for this plant stand out. The first is its ability to make people more alert, especially when they're really tired. The second is the possibility of its potent phytonutrients to stave off dementia. As my dear departed friend, retired USDA researcher Dr. James Duke liked to say, sage will not make you sage, but rosemary will. It is, quote, the herb of remembrance. So it wakes you up when you're tired, improves your memory, and may help you stave off dementia. And all you got to do is prune off a sprig, rough it up, and inhale that unmistakable aroma. All right, back to insects. Remember those ads for the famous mosquito-repelling plant? 
They showed a couple dining at a table outside with a potted plant in between them, and angry mosquitoes spinning away faster than a vampire who sees the sun coming up. Now, no plant in a pot can do that, but the famous mosquito-repelling plant actually does repel mosquitoes. It's a lemon-scented geranium, and virtually all lemon-scented flowers and herbs have the ability to repel mosquitoes. If you crush up the leaves and rub them on your exposed skin, they're nature's insect repellent. In well-controlled medical studies, lemon thyme, that's T-H-Y-M-E, was the clear winner among garden herbs. Crushed and rubbed on the skin, lemon thyme repelled mosquitoes just as well and for just as long as some concentrations of the chemical repellent deep. And lemon thyme is a beautiful plant with variegated leaves and a nice trailing habit that makes it perfect for hanging baskets in rock gardens. But alas, it is a small plant, and you'd have to grow a lot of it to get a summer's worth of natural mosquito protection. That's why I personally grow lemon balm, B-A-L-M. Yeah, it is a member of the mint family that spreads like wild if not controlled but it works well against mosquitoes, has a wonderful lemony fragrance, and the plants are big enough to easily grow a whole summer supply. When you need to use it, just clip off some branches, turn them upside down, strip the leaves off, and then crush and rub. Back to rosemary. There are several excellent natural mosquito repellents on the market. The one with the most science and best retail distribution is called Repel lemon eucalyptus. Studies have shown it to be as effective as some fairly strong concentrations of DEET. And lemon eucalyptus, unlike DEET, is non-toxic. Many herbalists who blend their own sprays almost always use lemon eucalyptus or lemon thyme as the main active ingredient, mixed with essences of other plants that have shown prevention potential, including catnip, peppermint, lavender, and, yes, rosemary. Now, some really necessary words of caution. There's no potential harm in inhaling the fragrance of live rosemary or lemon balm as aromatherapy. The noted natural physician, Dr. Andy Weil, once told me that he felt that inhaling fresh lemon balm was a much better cure for depression than St. John's wort. But rubbing plant material on your skin is another thing entirely. So before you slather anything all over yourself, crush up a small amount of the plant in question and just rub it on a small section of your arm to make sure that you're not going to have an allergic or irritant reaction. Never use the undiluted essential oils of these plants on your skin. They can be highly corrosive. The essential oils sold in health food stores are highly concentrated and must be diluted with large amounts of a carrier, like almond oil, to be used safely. If you want to learn how to do this, take classes with an herbalist. Do not rely on internet misinformation. And finally, don't confuse lemon-scented herbs with real lemons. The peels of oranges and lemons are highly reactive with human skin especially if that skin is then exposed to sunlight. Vacationers often learn this the hard way when they play a game that involves passing lemons and oranges to each other without using their hands. The result doctors call cruise ship rash. Well, that sure was some interesting advice on how to improve your memory and not get bit by skeeters now, wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read the information over in detail, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, say it with me, kids, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to rip out my rosemary if I don't get out of this studio. Come on, it's the first time it survived the winter. Ah. 
we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired report, your wretched refuse teaming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Always please include your location, even if you think we know you. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It is all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when his older brother dropped a pack of Mars Attacks bubblegum cards into his crib. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sequestered engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Mm. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnis. Minnis, Facebook page. Page. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is doing a lot of things, but he's working from home or he's in another room, so I'm not sure what. Special thanks, as always, to Jacob Mars for being our one-man band. Zach the Takwisneski is also in the house. Continued thanks to our fearless leader, CEO Tim Fallon, who either keeps allowing us to come in to tape new material or still has no idea that we're here. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, saying keep your tomatoes dry, your peppers hot, and your potatoes buried while you play an old John Prine album and eat a lot of peaches. And I'll see you with all the other angels from Montgomery next week. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters. Hot Bin Composters are designed to be compact, odor-free, and easy to use. With simple instructions and everything that's needed, Hot Bin Composters can help anyone get started with composting. More information is available at hotbincomposting-us.com.